Our good word today continues in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul is now launching into the practical part of his letter. The doctrinal part has been covered in chapters 1, 2, and 3. Now he's going to tell us how to walk. Now, the Christian life is compared to a walk. In verse 1, Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. Now, Paul is simply reminding them of what he taught them when he was with them. He wasn't with them a long time, possibly only a month. But he taught them that now that they were saved, they had a walk. The Christian life is compared to a walk. Uh, This word walk is used uh, perhaps more than any other word in the New Testament to describe the Christian life. Now, it's a difficult word for us today because we don't do much walking. Oh, I know housewives do. I read a survey that said that the average housewife walks perhaps five miles a day in her own home. And I don't, I don't doubt this one bit. But we don't do much walking. The art of walking has been lost. We ride. If you live a half a block away from the store, you drive to the store. You don't walk. Uh, I like when I go out visiting to park my car in the area where I'm going to be visiting and then just walk. I enjoy walking. Uh, recently, I was preaching in a, a certain city, and uh, I just needed some exercise. And I went and walked all around town. I must have walked four or five miles in that town. I enjoy walking. Walking is good exercise. Now, the Bible compares the Christian life to walk. In Ephesians, for example, he says that we should walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called. Maybe it would be good for us to turn back to Ephesians. That's not our study, but let's look at Ephesians chapter 4 just to see what he says about this business of the Christian's walk. Ephesians 4.1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the calling wherewith you're called. Over in verse 17 of Ephesians 4, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Over in chapter 5 of Ephesians, verse 2, and walk in love. Verse 8, walk as children of light. Uh, Verse 15, walk circumspectly. You see, over and over again in, in the book of Ephesians, we're told about the Christian walk. Now, why does the Lord compare the Christian life to a walk? Why does he compare it to a walk? Now, there are times when he talks about running. In uh, Hebrews chapter 12, let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Philippians chapter 3, uh, I want to run the race that is set before me. Uh, sometimes it's a walk. Sometimes it's running. Sometimes it's standing. Stand, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free. Why does the Lord compare the Christian life to a walk? Let me make some suggestions. First of all, it requires life. A person can't walk unless he has life. A corpse doesn't walk. You never have to tie a corpse down in the casket. When the day is over and the undertaker is about to close up shop, he never says to his assistant, well, you better tie those corpses down. They're not going to go anyplace. Now, an unsaved person doesn't have a walk. He's dead. Now, he does uh, have a, a life, of course, physically, but spiritually he's dead. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says that we were dead in trespasses and sins. We could not walk to please God. A corpse cannot walk. Now, when God calls us, he calls us to life. Back in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, in verse 12, he says that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you 
unto his kingdom and glory. God had to call us first and give us life before we could walk. You know, it's interesting, the Lord Jesus Christ raised three people from the dead that we have record of. A little girl, 12 years old, a young man outside the city of Nain, and then an older man named Lazarus. In each of these instances, they gave evidence that they were alive. When the little girl was raised from the dead, Jesus said, give her something to eat. And the Bible says she walked around. Now, that's an evidence that you're alive. When you've been raised from the dead, you have an appetite for spiritual things. And as you feed on spiritual things, you start walking. People see a change in your life. When the young man was raised from the dead, he began to talk. When you get saved, when God calls you, you start talking the right way. When Lazarus was raised from the dead, they loosed him from the grave clothes and turned him loose. And there's liberty. I'll talk more about that a little later on. But here we have a walk requiring life. Now, this life comes with a step of faith. If, I, if I'm speaking right now to some unsaved person, you say, well, I want to live to please God. I want to be a good person. Then take that first step of faith. Trust Christ as your Savior. Uh, a walk requires life. Nobody can do it for you. No one can take your walk for you. You have to do it personally. Now, you were saved by faith, and you walk by faith. So one reason God compares the Christian life to a walk is because it requires life. A dead person doesn't walk. Secondly, it demands growth. Babies can't walk. A baby has to be cared for and nurtured. You would be a criminal to put a little infant on the, on the, on the ground or on the floor and say, now start walking, spank that child for not being able to walk. Now, a new Christian immediately can begin to walk with the Lord, but he has to get some strength. There, it requires growth to have a real balanced walk. Now, it's fun to watch children walk. Uh, they kind of have a strange way of doing it. They're learning. And it's great to watch new Christians walk. Now, how do you learn how to walk? Well, you have to grow. And yet, you learn by imitation and encouragement. I recall when my father taught our uh, oldest son how to walk. Something There's something about grandfathers that gets people to walk. And he gave him a push and went to the other end of the, of the room, and he caught him, and he taught him how to walk. What a joy there is in the heart of a child when he learns how to walk. Wouldn't you hate to be confined to a crib or a playpen the rest of your life? Some Christians are. Some Christians have never really learned how to walk, and they sit in their little playpens, and when they get in trouble, they holler, and somebody comes and changes them. The preacher comes and straightens them out, and they play with their toys. We have churches full of people like this. It doesn't surprise me at all that unsaved people are not interested in the gospel. The babies that we have in our churches, they've just never grown up. So the Christian life is compared to a walk because it requires life and it demands growth. As you grow, you get the strength in your spiritual muscles to walk. Now, we learn to walk, of course, by imitation and by encouragement. And that's the job of the older Christians in the church. Let me say a word to you who have been saved a long time. Do you encourage the new Christians? You know, a person gets saved and gets baptized and becomes a part of a church family, he could die of loneliness. It's really pitiful the way our Christians ignore the babies in the church. Let's suppose that uh, we had no one in our nursery taking care of the babies. Suppose I got up and announced next Sunday morning, from now on, we will not have any attendance in our nursery. Why, do you think the parents would leave their children there? Of course not. 
They'd say, well, now, pastor, our children can't take care of themselves. Somebody has to take care of them. How about the little spiritual babies in the church? Just recently, we've been baptizing a number of people. We thank the Lord that he saved them. They're just little babies. Some are older than I am, but they're little babies in the Lord. We have to encourage them and help them to walk. I think it's time our Christians quit having their little cliques. I think it's time that Christian church members quit uh, having their own their same old crowd over to the house for coffee and, and pie. Why don't you start inviting these new Christians over and encouraging them to learn how to walk? So God compares the Christian life to a walk because it requires life. It demands growth. There's a third reason. It demands liberty. It demands liberty. I was in a restaurant recently, and a family came in with a little child in their arms, and the child had on a special pair of shoes with a bar between the two shoes to keep his legs separated. Now, apparently he was born with a, a, a bad leg condition, either knock-kneed or bow-legged or something, I don't know, but he had these special shoes on to keep his legs straight. Now, this boy can't walk. You can't walk when you're trussed up like that. Now, an unsaved person can't walk because he's wrapped up in the grave clothes. But when a person is saved, God gives him liberty. He sets you free. I mentioned Lazarus in John chapter 11. Jesus called out and said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth. He couldn't walk. He was bound hand and foot, says the scriptures. But he couldn't walk. So he must have floated to the door of that grave, to the, to the door of the tomb. And then Jesus said, loose him and let him go. Why? Why not just leave the grave clothes on him? After all, perhaps he'd become attached to them. Oh, no. When you're alive, you don't wear grave clothes. When you wear grave clothes, you're all wrapped up. You can't walk. The reason some of our Christians have a hard time walking is because they're still wearing some of the grave clothes. Now, Paul warns us to set, lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us and to run with endurance the race that's set before us. Who would ever think of a runner on a racetrack carrying a ball and chain on his ankle or being wrapped up in ropes or cords? You'd say you can't run that way. Are you trying to walk in the Christian life wearing the grave clothes? These things that belong to the old life, the old habits, the old associations, the old way you used to live, Jesus said, take off these grave clothes. You can't walk unless you have liberty. Now, God has set us free. A Christian is one who's been set free. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, the people to whom he was writing were going back into legalism. They were observing special holy days and holidays. They were trying to keep the Old Testament diet, the Old Testament law. Somebody had come to their church and said, Oh, you can't really be good Christians unless you worship on the Sabbath day. Oh, you can't be good Christians if you eat pork. Oh, you can't be good Christians unless you keep Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles. And so they were going right back into the Old Testament law. And Jesus died to set us free from that Old Testament law. And Paul said, Look, you can't walk unless there's liberty. You have to have liberty, and God has given us this liberty from the law and from sin. But how tragic it is when we as Christians go back into bondage. 
So the Lord compares the Christian life to a walk because it requires life, it demands growth, it requires liberty. There's a fourth reason. It cannot be hidden. I'll tell you, when a child begins to walk, you, you can't hide it. You brag about it. You say, isn't it wonderful? Junior's learned how to walk. And then Junior learns how to run. And then Junior learns how to ride his, his uh, bicycle. And as he grows, he is getting more and more ability. He's developing his abilities. Now, Christians are this way. You can't hide it. People see your walk. They see it. You go through chapters 4 and 5 of 1 Thessalonians, you'll find out that people see your walk. For example, in the first eight verses, he talks about the home. He talks about sexual immorality and keeping our bodies clean. People can tell where we walk. Then he talks about brotherly love and working. Verse 11, study to be quiet. Do your own business. Work with your own hands. Walk honestly toward them that are without. You can't hide your walk. Somebody has said, what you do speaks so loud, I can't hear what your lips are saying. And so often we as Christians don't walk the right kind of a walk, and we lose our testimony, we lose our influence, and we lead people astray. So a walk cannot be hidden. Now, someone's looking at your walk. You're the very best Christian somebody knows. You know, it's amazing how people have the idea that the only folks in the church with any influence are the preachers and the deacons. That's not true. You who are what we call everyday church members, by your daily walk in school, on the job, in the, in the store, in the neighborhood, by your daily walk, you are influencing others. God compares the Christian life to a walk because it cannot be hidden. Now, you know what your walk is, and I know what my walk is. I wonder if we are really walking so as to please the Lord, or are we walking to please ourselves? The program is What's the Good Word? This is Pastor Warren Wearsby at the Calvary Baptist Church in Covington, Kentucky.